A quick note for context, this conversation was recorded before Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Hello and welcome to Represent, an Elect 535 podcast. We're bringing you a roadmap to build a better Congress. My name is Nick Bushkar, and I'm joined by the co-founders of Elect 535, Michelle Olson and Rena Schnerer. Hey, Rena. Hello, Nick. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Nick. And as always, we are joined by my favorite political journalist, Angela Carbone. Hi, Angela. Hello, Nick. We have a lot to cover today. Uh, decisions about congressional district maps are being made across the country. Courts are weighing in, and gerrymandering continues to be terrible. On today's docket, we have Oregon, Texas, Nevada, Maine, Iowa, and Virginia. So out of those states, uh, Michelle, I'd like to pitch it to you first. What can you tell us about the great state of Oregon? All right. So Oregon was the first to pass its map, uh, and it was a favorable map uh, for Democrats across the board. Their legislature is uh, held by the Democrats. Um, and they had a new seat to carve out uh, as they gained one seat in this go-round. Uh, the big changes were uh, Oregon 4. It moved from uh, R plus 1 to D plus 4, which was good news for Peter DeFazio uh, because he was considered slightly at risk, and that's a much better uh, seat for him. Um, the new district, District 6, is, a, is about D plus 3, um, so it's, again, another favorable seat for Democrats. Uh, the only one that became more competitive for uh, Republicans was Oregon 5, in which Kurt Schrader is currently the rep there who's a, who is a Democrat. Um, there may be some additional competition for him there. Uh, there is one person uh, running against him who's raised a reasonable amount of money, uh, Lori Chavez uh, Dreamer, I guess her name is, um, is competing with Kurt Schrader. Uh, there are a few new people uh, who have filed in Oregon 6. Uh, it's too soon to have any clear indication of who's going to uh, get the nomination in either party there. That's what I got on Oregon, Nick. All right. Well, then now let's go. How about we go down south? Rena, the Republicans are making their moves in Texas. What can you tell about uh, what can you tell us about what's going on there? Well, the redistricting certainly messed up Texas. And what happens is there are really for us two districts, maybe that we can watch. Most of the districts that used to be competitive, like 15 of them, are no longer competitive. The only good news is that a couple of districts, like Texas 7 and 32, these are um, where the incumbents are the Democrat Lizzie Fletcher and Colin Alred, respectively, they became safer. But really what uh, is happening is that... Um, Texas 15 became an open seat because the Democrat Gonzalez is now running in 34, which is also a safer district. 
So he left that seat open. This seat moved tiny bit more red. I mean, it's still D. It's a D plus one. It used to be D plus three. Um, and the uh, problem is that the Democrats have not raised as much money as the Republican. The lead candidate is Monica de la Cruz. On the Republican side, she raised like uh, a million and a half at least. So that's the only really seat we can work on. The other one that you could say semi-competitive is Texas 23. It used to be R plus one, but it's now R plus five. Uh, there is another, Tony Gonzalez with an S, who is the incumbent there, the Republican. So it's a long shot, but maybe. So this is kind of not not great outlook for Texas. Not surprisingly so. What I was astounded with in Texas was how the uh, legislature seemed to take out competitiveness all in. Before the redistricting, there were 12 competitive seats in Texas that were somewhere between R plus five to D plus five. That went down from 12 to two. So we're not going to see a whole lot of change in incumbency in Texas for a long time. Did we did we mention that the primaries are already underway there? Yeah, so that's actually the primaries are that's the the last thing are on March first. So really, right, in the early August. vote early voting is yeah already early voting started. is already underway. So we will know really the the finalists. Um, in, in a week. By the yeah. way, their filing date, their filing date also was very early because of that was in December. Well, let's talk about something that's uh, a bit less depressing than Texas. Um, Michelle, uh, a bit to the West. Um, uh, what can you tell us about uh, Nevada? As is appropriate for the state, uh, the Democrats took a real gamble in, in Nevada. Uh, Dina Titus, in Nevada one, that's right around Las Vegas. Uh, She had a pretty safe seat uh, prior to the redistricting. It was a D D plus 12. Whereas her colleagues in uh, Congress, Susie Lee and Steve Horsford, also both Democrats, um, they were facing some really tight races coming up. So in this map, the legislature carved out some of those areas in Dina Titus's district and shored up those of Susie Lee and Steve Horsford. So Dina's uh, district is now rated uh, D plus three, which should be okay, especially since she's an incumbent um, and a well-known incumbent. Um, And Susie Lee's is now D plus two from R plus two. And Steve Horsford is now D plus three from D plus one. It should be good news for Dems. Uh, but at D plus three, none of them are super safe. So if there were to be uh, a real uh, GOP wave that happens, we could be looking at an all Republican uh, representation in Congress from Nevada, which is pretty scary. Knowing what the national climate is right now, I mean, that's not out of the realm of possibility for sure. Yeah. And I will say that Susie Lee and Steve Horsford are facing some pretty significant uh, challengers uh, in Nevada in uh, against St- Susie 
Lee. We've got April Becker. Um, and she lost a state Senate bid in 2020, but that gave her a pretty big uh, war chest because she had some money left over. So she's got close to a million dollars to challenge. Um, and Sam Peters in Nevada 4 also has um, quite a big bank account, and he has been endorsed by none other, none other than Andy Biggs and Paul Gozar. So you can imagine where his uh, philosophies like, oh, and don't forget Ted Nugent has also endorsed him. So the aging isn't, rocker radical it, crowd is, is for him too. Isn't that the old saying? So goes Ted Nugent. So goes a nation. <laughs> or so goes Nevada. <laughs> uh, let's hope not. No. Yeah. Let's hope not. Well, Angela, I, I'd like to uh, pitch it over to you now in the Northeast. What can you tell us about Maine? Well, in Maine, um, most of the population growth was in District 1. Um, and so, therefore, the de- Democrats, in redrawing their maps, decided to take some of the Democrats out of District 1, which was uh, pretty good for the Democrats, and moved it into District 2 to help Jared Golden. But just uh, Jared Golden's district is rated a toss-up by Cook. Um, he, uh, is now in a, uh, all right, let me find it. I had an R2 district. Uh, Jared Golden is R plus six. R plus six. Um, so that's, that's a bit of a tough row for him. He is a moderate, so that should help him in Maine, which even the Democrats can be quite moderate up there. Um, and, but he won in, in 2020 with 53% of the vote. Um, so that's, that was a pretty good showing in, in the, that year. Um, and right now, he's, he has about $2 million to play with in his campaign chest. And the leading Republican, Bruce Lee Poliquin, has raised $1.4 million, which is a pretty good amount as well. So that should be a real race to watch. And it's uh, not very good news for Jared Golden, although they feel that he can hang on to that seat. And isn't Poliquin, he used to hold that seat. Wasn't it uh, Jared Golden who took that from Poliquin back in 2018? So he is very well known. In fact, I think Poliquin, that name is is a very well-known political name in Maine. So in Maine, that's yeah. a formidable candidate against it. It is. And, and the fact that you know he was able to raise that much money that quickly, too. Um, and obviously the Republicans would love to pick up a seat in Maine. And to remind you that, I mean, uh, Jared Golden won that seat in 2018 by ranked choice voting, right? So, but then in the 2020, he had a reasonable margin of uh, a few percent. So um, he was doing better. So maybe the, what we are told that Maine love, the, the Mainers, they love inertia. They may stick with whatever they have. Well, let's hope. Well, thanks for that, uh, Angela. Now, uh, a trickier state. Uh, Rena, I'd like to um, ask you, what what's going on in Iowa? Everything. <laughs> Iowa. Iowa. I love Iowa. So Iowa has four districts. Um, and in 2018... After the 2018 elections, three of them became 
Democrats. Uh, Cindy Axney was the only one that managed to um, keep her seat in uh, Iowa 3 in 2020. The other two got were lost, one by Abby Finkenhauer, who is now running for the Senate seat against Chuck Grassley. And the uh, second lost seat by Rita Ward was lost by six votes. One, two, three, four, five, six votes. So that's uh, a seat that uh, we may try to reclaim. The uh, kind of PVIs after redistricting remain pretty similar. So Iowa 3 is still an R plus 3 as before. Cindy Axney is still a Jeopardy. Uh, so that, you know, she still needs to fight. And the Republicans really like to uh, challenge that seat. Uh, they did in, of course, they, they fought in 2018 and they uh, did it in 2020. Iowa 1 was R plus 4. It's now R plus 3. So slightly more Democrat. Uh, there is one candidate that's very, um, that, that's the leading candidate, maybe the only one, Christina Bohanian. And she raised a few hundred thousands of dollars. So she's clearly a, a valid candidate. She's a professor at the University of Iowa. So she hopefully will have all the staff and students behind her um, as well. And she'll be running against uh, Marionette Miller Mix. You're not wrong. Everything is going on in Iowa. Wow. And it's Rita Hart, sorry, not Rita Ward, Rita Hart. So, so are there any voter suppression uh, movement to different disenfranchise the students who might want to vote for uh, Bohannon? Uh, no, that I know of. Uh, hopefully not. I mean, they can, of course, register uh, to, to vote. I, I want to point out that in 2020, of course, a lot of the students uh, were not there at the time of the election because of COVID. But they're there now. So yeah, they're now. Yeah. yeah. They will be there in November. Mm-hmm. We hope so. And, and what do you think about Abby Finkenauer's uh, possibilities against Chuck Grassley? Have you seen any polls there? I haven't seen polls. Um, I would take the fifth on that. It's a lot of that going around, I hear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to round things out, Michelle, what can you tell us about Virginia? Okay, so Virginia. Well, after redistricting, a lot of the Democratic seats became safer. Um, Abigail Spanberger got the most benefit out of the redistricting. Uh, she went from an R plus three to a D plus one district. So all of a sudden she has to worry a lot less about getting reelected. Uh, she still has a pretty strong competitor. Uh, Tina Marie Ramirez has raised a certain amount, has raised a reasonable amount of money. And there are actually eight candidates uh, running against her in the election. So it's, it's not a slam dunk. Um, and Elaine Luria was the big loser in the redistricting. She, her district became slightly more competitive. She went from an R plus one to an R plus three district. Um, so she's going to have to find a few more votes. Uh, and there are 
again, several challengers to her there. The one that looks the most formidable at this point is Jennifer Kiggins. Uh, but their primary, Rena, do you know when their primary happens? I know their filing deadline isn't until the end of March, so it can't be. Their primary is 21st of June. Oh, thank you. And and their filing is March 30th. That's a lot to take in. So I pulled up the generic congressional ballot or polling and also Biden's uh, popularity at the moment. Biden seems to be stuck in the 41, almost 42 percent approval rating on the uh, generic congressional vote. Um, Well, RCP has the average at about, what is that, 3.8 right now. So let's call it four and 538 has it about two and a half. So somewhere between that range, two and a half to four, uh, R plus four, right? So Angela, I'd like to pitch to you. I mean, maybe Maine or anywhere you really want to talk about. Um, do you have a sense that there is uh, more of a national effect in Maine or is Maine a, a more local? Like if, uh, if, if they put forward better candidates and uh, stick to local issues, uh, do you think that's a better uh, strategy for those districts? I think so in Maine. Maine Mainers are very insulated, I think, insular. And um, it's, I mean, all politics is local, but in Maine, I think it, it, people have a very strong sense of place and individuals who belong to the place and who address the place as opposed to the national scene. And Michelle, of Ooh. course, Nevada and Arizona are uh, quite different, but being so close, sort of, we know that there are regional effects and uh, patterns of voting. So with Arizona, Arizona, to me, feels like a very nationalized state. And maybe, maybe that's just my uh, perspective. But do you get the sense uh, that Nevada is as well? Do you, do you think that Nevada is following the national trend? Uh, well, I think that overall, what we're finding is that in all states, uh people are much more following the national trend. We've all looked at the statistics that show that the presidential approval ratings are the best determinant of how well the midterms go uh, for the party in power. And we know that it really doesn't look good given Biden's current approval ratings. Uh, Regardless, people are mad. People are mad about Many things, uh, COVID is one of them. Uh, And clearly, uh, Glenn Youngkin's win in Virginia, the near scare that happened in New Jersey, there's a lot going on. And that's going to be in every district of the nation. Um, The good news is that Democrats have come alive uh, so have Republicans in terms of their interests. We we but we did see in 2018 that Democrats came out in droves, and that was responsible for the big wave in 2018. So if in 2022 a lot of Demo- a lot of Republicans are um, unsure about the security of elections, that they've lost their uh, their faith in the electoral process it's very possible that they actually don't come out to vote. And that would be true in, well, certainly in Arizona, where there was the whole Maricopa County uh, kerfuffle. And there were uh, tones of that in Nevada too. So I think it. I think all districts are national at this point. Rena, if you had 
let's say, a three-point plan to offer the Democrats uh, for the 2022 election. <laughs> what, what's at the top of your list? What do they need to do to increase their odds of not getting destroyed? Well, it's a, getting a bit late, but make sure you get some excellent, excellent candidates that are appealing to whatever fits in that district. Get your... I, I hate to say messaging, but get a PR firm, <laughs> get blast, you know, uh, make sure you fight all these other, you know, CRT and all these, uh, you know, um, jargons that are used and, and keywords that are used to uh, bring people, you know, get people angry and uh, really show people what has been done for them in their districts, in their homes. So um, I would say that. And the last, if you want three points, uh, pass some versions of the, whatever they call it, be, Build Back Better, not a great name, uh, and some of the voting rights to show that you can do something that is meaningful. I know they did infrastructure and all, uh, COVID relief, but nobody is talking about it. Definitely. I mean, Michelle or, or Angela, do, do you have anything to add to that list? I'm wondering what you guys think about how the situation in Ukraine could impact the midterms. Will foreign policy actually make a difference in the midterm elections this year? Usually it's it's sort of a secondary consideration. But given what went on in Afghanistan, what do you think has to happen uh, with this latest skirmish too, in order for Biden perhaps to restore his uh, his bona fides in foreign policy. Anybody well, got uh, any oh, idea Definitely avoiding that? an all-out war. I mean, you know, a, a, an invasion would be disastrous for Biden. And would it? So, I think it would. You don't think it would? Really? I'm not sure. Sh- I, I, I heard yesterday that 1% uh, of voters put foreign policy as their, you know, one of their top issues. That said, yeah, Afghanistan, I think what Afghanistan did is not really necessarily the issue itself, but it left kind of an impression of inability to execute, right? So I think on a negative side or a positive side, it's all very superficial, some of it sometimes, not necessarily, I mean, not necessarily in that case, but but what impression if you're, you know, suddenly come strongly against Putin, the impression is that you are very strong and determined and powerful. And if you cave or if you mishandle something, that's the impression. The issue itself, unfortunately, I would say, not many people care what happens in Ukraine. I'm, I'm not. I don't know if they know where Ukraine is. I, I so wouldn't I, guess they would know where Ukraine is either. But I, I do think, given the visibility of this issue and Biden trying to get Putin to sit down at a table and talk to him, even if it's a long table and they're on opposite ends, um, then if he cannot do that, if Biden is not able to pull that off and Ukraine is invaded, by the Russian forces, I think that will be a real problem for Biden because it's a, another failure 
and and he can't risk another failure. I think the problem will be is if Biden agrees to meet with Putin right now, the, the offer is on the table. And I think it's that Biden is at risk if he does meet with Putin and then does not avert war, because then it looks like he was weak. If he doesn't meet with him and it, he goes to war, then it's outside of the U.S.'s fault in that sense. Uh, and chips fall where they may. I think the real risk is if Biden does agree to sit down with him and then it goes badly. I also would think that strengthening NATO in general would be a bonus for uh, like a good uh, positive point for Biden for pulling NATO together and really against Putin. So sometimes you when you have a threat the country comes together against that threat. It's not necessarily a failure because, I mean, there is nothing you can do if Putin really decides to invade Ukraine. Really, no, nothing nobody can do except sanctions. Uh, you, make, you both make very good points. I think, I think you hit the nail on the head, Michelle. It's, it is the, the meeting itself that really, it's the risk. And if it goes well, and war is averted, then it's fabulous for Biden. And although, yeah, people may say they don't care about foreign policy, and I understand that. But when it's in the news so much, when they're hit with it a lot. But we are in March, February, let's say March, November. Mm-hmm. Nobody remembers. Nobody, yeah. unless it's still there. Well, that's the thing. If it's an all-out war in Europe... Yeah. Yeah. Then it's going to be it's an issue. It's going to be there. Yeah. yeah, then it's going to be there. I mean, that's a whole... And that's I want to... more and more likely every day. Like, I, I do not dismiss that at all. I think that it's very possible that Ukraine will be a huge issue come November. I mean, he went to Crimea, right? I mean, he got Crimea and, you know, people... Wasn't that for, during the former guy? I mean... Yeah, it was. And but he I'm did saying, nothing. Yeah. And no and, one cared. And no one cared almost, but right? People are caring now because they're being hit with it and hit with it. And I think part of that is the Republicans hitting with him, hitting voters with it. And, because they're and, hoping that this whole thing is going to blow up in Biden's face. And also some of them position, at least on the news, like right on Fox News, they position, oh, why won't we go with Russia? Why do we say right. Isn't that yeah. astounding? That's These b- so bizarre. It, 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 it It's like if you transported somebody from, I don't know, 2004 from the Bush administration and played them clips of what is being said by current Republicans about, oh, well, you know, Russia, we should really be supporting Russia. And, you know, it would astound them. I, I would like to see the McCarthy era people being transported to hear some of that. You know, play a few clips of that beyond the Joe McCarthy uh, speeches and then say, well, we should be friends with Russia. Can you imagine Ronald Reagan? <laughs> Any of them. Some of them still, you know, Bush, Bush yeah. W is still alive. Uh, before we go, I want to do what we did last time and go state by state and said, what's the net gain or loss in that state here? All right. Well, uh 
let's go in the order that we went uh, earlier on. So if we start in Oregon, uh, what are we looking at? Uh, Michelle, do you have a sense of Oregon? Yeah, I think that the new seat goes uh, Democrat and everything else pretty much stays the same, assuming Ukraine doesn't blow up in Biden's face, um, you know, given the current polls. Uh, so it's a plus one in Oregon. D Does anybody one. disagree Agreed. with that? I agree. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so what do we all think about, oh, Texas? Rena, what do, what do you think? Texas. So I plus would say 38. Def- <laughs> I don't know if we are losing anymore. Probably we will be at, at well, first of all, they gained, right? They gained a couple of seats. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so they that's already a, a negative for us. And we may lose another seat. So you're saying R plus two, R plus three? Yeah, two. Um, two sounds about right to me. Okay, yeah, def- two definitely. Yeah. And you don't think Gonzalez can hold on? Oh, uh, well, it's not Gonzalez. It's whoever. Uh, yeah, you're runs, right. I'm yeah. sorry. It's it's the open seat. Yeah, yeah. I think that's going to. That's, I concur, that, that's the third Actually, one, yeah. Angela, you good with that? Yeah, I think so. That sounds about right. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. So we're at, so what's that? Uh, D plus one and then R plus three. So in Nevada, Michelle, give us your hopefully optimistic take here. Well, the optimistic take is that there is no change, which is fairly likely it, you know, it feels pretty good unless, you know, the presidential approval rolls can, or approval polls continue to tumble. Um, but otherwise should hold steady. Is there any is there any candidate that you are looking at that you think might not be up to the task, like like someone who, you know, just doesn't have a great path forward? So the one that uh, probably gives me the most pause is uh, probably Steve Horsford. Uh, Mm. It's a D plus three. Um, He's you know, he's raised a fair amount of money. But Sam Peters has a name and, you know, a bunch of pretty known Trump supporting uh, brand names have given their endorsement to him. So it's clear that that's the one they think that they can flip. Uh, I, I agree with you, though. Uh, I'm, I'm going uh, neutral here. Me too. Yep. Wow. We're a lot of agreement this time, not unlike yeah. last time. So, so then, uh, Angelo, what about Maine? Well, Maine, I think, might be a different story. I think Jared is in is going to be in big trouble. I think we may lose a seat there. All right. So I would R, think R plus split. One. Yep. I would think we keep it. You think we'll keep? I mean, I like optimistically, right. I'd like to to say that, but I'm a boy. That's a tough one. I it don't know. I haven't seen any polls recently. Have no. Have there been any? Does anybody know if there are any polls? Not that I know of. They probably are waiting for at least the filing dates. To I mean, we've got the ranked choice voting there, and I don't know. Yeah, yeah. That's always Boy, a bit of a Paul wild Quinn card. is known, and, and gold, but Golden is liked, I think. And as you say, we can count on inertia with Mainers. Um, yeah, and and I do think Maine is very local. Uh, it, despite we, it, nationally, I think Maine is a little, it's a different place. Like New Hampshire is a different place. <laughs> So what did we say? R plus half? uh, Yeah, right, right. (laughs) Angela, I wonder what's not a different place? Uh, Massachusetts. 
Okay, Not Massachusetts. <laughs> Texas. Middle of the road. Texas. No. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I I'm I think Golden's not gonna hold on myself so i'm going r plus one okay and uh rena iowa what do you think so i would go hopeful here and say iowa d plus one we can get iowa one and keep iowa wow those rose colored glasses are strong maybe i should call them blue colored glasses michelle Uh, what do you got i would love to see christina bohannon win well who knows maybe the I, I think at the very most, we hold on. Cindy Axney looks at risk. It'll be tough to flip. I don't know. Uh, I might even go R plus one. Ooh. I'm at R plus one. Ooh, God. I'm pessimistic to, about Iowa. I want to know that. Okay, so you're R yeah. plus one. I'm D plus one. Angela? I'm even. I'm even. I don't think it's okay, so we totally differ here. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. And uh, finally, Virginia. I hope you're right, Rena. <laughs> yeah, I'm praying t- for I you. I hope you're right, too. Uh, Michelle, take us out on Virginia. What do you think? You know, maybe here I'm going to call it kind of crazy. Well, actually, those suburban moms, they are pissed. Uh it we already have enough I mean, to we do have in Luria. More... It certainly was enough to do it uh, doing Terry McAuliffe. Yeah. And it's in an R plus three district. Yeah. Unfortunately, I say R plus one. I don't think Luria holds it. Yeah. Totally agree. I, I mean, won't... it's this. It's the place we have the most data about out of all of these states, right? Of actual, mm-hmm. you know, outcomes. Of course, turnout matters, but I don't know. R plus one, I think. I, I would go with status quo. Again, Angela. I'm praying for you, Rena. <laughs> yeah, you you all pray for me. I'll pray for you too because I think it's our plus one. Yeah, <laughs> with with okay. what the way Virginia's been heading, yeah, recent events. Mm-mm. Well, on that note, uh, I think we're going to have to wrap it up here. We have a hard stop, and uh, I want to thank each of you for uh, having this chat. Uh, it was good talking with you, and um, I'm Nick Bushkar, and for represent. And Elect 535 podcast. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.